Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome back to the Surge Strength Podcast, everyone. And first, I want to say A quick first congratulations to all of the coaches, swimmers, whoever has in the first graduating class here of earning their SSDC. I'm recording this a few days before, but I'm hoping everything worked out on our end in terms of having the final exam work and people getting their certifications. But I'm going to count that we made it and we pulled it off and we had a bunch of people graduating because a ton of people are almost at the end of all the content in the Surge Strength Drown certification right now. And they're really just waiting for us to finalize some of the stuff with the final exam. So by the time this airs, we should have all that and having people be able to add SSDC behind their name, really exciting. So at this point now, the course is 23 plus hours. It's almost 200 lessons, but the average length is about seven minutes for a video. So we specifically made sure when we were creating the Surge Strength Drown certification, to chunk it as very small, manageable bites. So even if you only have 30 minutes after practice, or it's manageable enough, if you wanna knock it out in a weekend, you're gonna be able to do that as well. And so now that we have people graduating with their SSDC, we are going through the process of getting CEUs uh, for that to count for NSCA. So if you have your CSCS or your personal training through NSCA and on also NASM as well, Uh, whether it's the certified personal trainer and then a bunch of other organizations as well. So that's what we're doing the next few weeks is getting all that paperwork filled out. So the people that are graduating with SSDCs behind their name now can get continuing education units for that. And if you're interested too, in the course, we're going to have information for those coaches that are looking to get liability insurance. So the same type of lighting mill insurance that I had for a number of years as a strength coach, personal trainer, you can now get if all you have is just your surge strength drowning certification. You don't even need a degree or any other cert, just your SSDC. And we'll have all that information in the actual curriculum as well. So if you haven't been paying attention to, we're putting out a bunch of articles on Swim Swam. Make sure you're checking out those articles that we're releasing every Tuesday, Thursday is our schedule going forward. And that'll be for probably the next few months. We'll keep that up and continuing to publish this podcast every Thursday, which by the way, thank you for spreading the word. I mean, obviously you guys are liking it because the downloads just keep going up and up, even just in the last few weeks, pretty crazy how many people are now subscribing to this one. We of course have had our longtime podcast, Swim Coaches Base, but man, this one's catching up quick in terms of downloads in comparison. So that's always exciting as well. On the episode today, remember we break it up into a couple sections on this podcast, a little different if this is one of your first few times joining in on the Surge Strength Podcast, is two segments following after I kind of give an intro, highlight particular things that we're doing. The first one up is inside the Surge Strength Academy. So what you're getting get is basically a free view Uh, actually audio listen, not view, but uh, a free listen to audio from one of the lessons for the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. And this one for this episode is on exercise variety. I feel this topic trips up a lot of coaches in particular. They feel like every workout needs to be different or I need to make sure I'm changing it up a lot. 
and I kind of flipped that on its head a little bit, and I don't want to give it all away, but you'll be able to hear my thoughts on if the variety should really be a goal when you are writing your dryland workout. So again, when you're taking the surge strength dryland certification, there's video components to that. You're obviously watching the video. We're just pulling the audio and letting you listen in on the podcast here. And then our last session, dryland talk, it's actually again uh, from a study session that we had for people earning their SSDC. So this happened probably a few weeks ago by the time this is airing, but this was another great study session where we had a ton of awesome questions. I love the level that we were able to dive into in these dryland questions from coaches, knowing that they're really picking up the curriculum. And then we're able to talk at a higher level about problems or challenges in dryland and making sure we're finding the best solution. So we've broken the study session up into a few parts. So you're going to listen to part one here, and then we'll have the couple other parts in the coming weeks as well. But let's jump into the rest of the episode. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Should exercise variety be a goal is what I'm going to be talking about in this lesson. That's a valid question. A lot of programs or some programs out there advertise the variety. It comes in all forms and sizes and it's never ending. And what really it is, is no plan or program underneath it. Now, variety in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But what we're going to be talking about is that really should be your specific goal or not. And so, again, don't confuse programs that advertise variety as being the number one thing about it, because usually that means it's no plan behind it. And that's not what we want at all. When athletes talk to you about wanting more variety, it won't always be the case, but sometimes it can be that it's because of their lack of engagement. And so as a coach, you need to understand, am I communicating with my athletes the reasons we're doing X, Y, and Z in the program or the way we've structured it? Because sometimes if the athletes aren't buying into it, they're just going to want variety because they're bored when really they're bored because they're not able to fully focus and engage in the program because you haven't explained it to them. So make sure you're aware of that if athletes are asking you for variety. Because again, swimming, (laughs) sometimes it's the same thing, right? You feel like you need to change up the set because the athletes are just bored of it when really maybe they don't understand the reason they're doing it. Now, variety actually will happen if you follow what we're talking about here in the Surge Strength Dryland Certification as a byproduct of two main things. One, changing the workout variables. And two, continuing to progress the athlete. And that's through different exercises and phases. So it's not that I'm saying variety isn't important. What I'm trying to say is by following the variables that we have, the dynamic eight variables in the workout that you can change, and also just progressing an athlete, whether it's week to week, season to season, year to year, changing up the exercises, trying to move them from levels one to level three, just the process of that is going to yield variety if you're doing it. Because remember, just changing a few of these variables greatly changes the workout. So if you find yourself haven't changed variables in a while, that's a problem. And not because it's lack of variety, but you should be changing the variables to progress your athlete. So if we have to boil it down, you need to have three things in your program. There are three must-haves. Technique, number one, because we don't want athletes to be hurt and we want them to be performing it well in order to prove to us as coaches that we can then continue them on more harder exercises or more varied exercises, things of that nature. Number two, progression. You need to be able to continually progress an athlete. They're only going to improve 
for so long just doing the same thing. So you need to be able to progress them in some ways. And then three is variety. But again, variety isn't the goal. It's not, oh, I want to do exercise A and then B and then Z and then Y because you just want to mix it up. It should be coming back to you sit down, you have a plan, you figure out what are my phases, you plug in the workouts. And because of that, because you're going through different phases, because you are changing different variables, that then creates the variety. So it's not that you need to be chasing variety as a goal, but if you look at your program and there's not a lot of variety or all of your athletes are complaining about variety and you know that they are engaged and they're understanding it, that's maybe you not using the workout variables, progressing it, changing up phases, things like that. So make sure you're understanding, yes, variety should come from your workouts, but it's not the main goal. It's going to be a byproduct of you doing the right things for the program. Dryland Talk. All right, guys, welcome to another study session here with the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. A quick announcement, too. If you haven't seen, I posted half of module seven up last night. The other half should be up in the next day or two. A ton more case studies as well. Um, there's already like over two hours worth and <laughs> module seven is quickly becoming maybe the biggest module yet. And I didn't even realize it was going to be, but I found a bunch of case studies to help you guys make sure you're getting all the concepts here that we're talking about. So I put those in. And um, let's see. So we got a bunch of questions. Let's get to the first one. And if you guys have some questions, type them in the chat and Jason will keep track of them and um, he'll drop them off to me as we get through the ones that were emailed first. Um, so this was a quick one. We'll get out of the way. Why the change from movement scores out of uh, three to two, just simplicity or something more? Kudos to whoever asked that. You've been around a while if you, if you picked up on that. Um, so good job on that. Yeah, I would say simplicity. I'm always trying to make things as simple, but as effective as possible. And I forget where I heard it, but um, some podcast I'm sure I was listening to, they talked about when they're trying to get feedback and they use a score of like one to 10, they say, but you can't answer seven because almost everybody answers seven. So it's like pick away one or the other. And I kind of thought about that when it was three, two, one. Okay. So what does a two really tell you then? And I felt like I'd rather know, is it poor or is it at least good enough that I can kind of check that box and move on? Because of course, everything we could always get better technique wise. So I was just thinking through that and again, trying to simplify everything in the process as we're creating this certification. And so, yeah, that was one of the calls I made is let's just make it even simpler. Is it a two or a one? And zero is obviously pain. So that's all you got to worry about. So yeah, so that's the example, but kudos to whoever asked that and, um, and recognize that. That's awesome. Let's see here. Um, hold on a second. <clears throat> Next question, when prescribing corrective functional exercises for weaknesses found in both assessments, what's the order of importance to get improved? So really good question here. I always think about what is the most mobile joint first? And I, I go from that. So that's obviously going to be shoulders, hips. And that's also how, if you look at the assessment page, how we have it basically in the hierarchy. I basically put it in the order of importance that you should think about. So obviously shoulder impingement, number one, because that's a pain yes or no test. So that's the most important thing to me. Then the next one, shoulder mobility, straight leg raise, a lot about the hip, and then overhead squat, hip hinge. So it's really in the order of how I'm looking at it in importance in, in addition to thinking about what are the most mobile joints first in that. 
Um, so as you're going through the assessment, yeah, it's, it's ordered in what I would consider the hierarchy of importance. And then that relays to when you're trying to figure out the specific function exercises for the athletes. I would, I would you know, if, they, if there's a shoulder mobility issue, hip hinge and single leg squat, I'm probably having most of my stuff, shoulder mobility, a, a, maybe half or a little bit of hip hinge, and then maybe one of single leg squat, because that's also a lot of strength as well. And if their shoulders jacked up and they can't hip hinge, that limits me a lot more than the single leg being, you know, not the best. I can still program around that in a lot of different ways. Um, let's see. Hold on. Next question here. I don't know what is going on with my voice today, guys. Sorry. <laughs> didn't even do that. Didn't even do that many recordings yesterday. Um, all right, let's see. With multiple gym sessions in a week, how much exercise variation should we include in the session? Same full body program for two or three sessions a week, some exercises, uh, the same or two completely different programs, depending on experience level. So I'm glad they're already thinking through this in a couple different levels. And that's one of the reasons why at this point, module seven is like exploding in terms of how big it is getting. Um, one of them that I just posted in module seven is a 20 minute lesson on, it was either a master's case study or a college case study. I can't remember which one went to 20 minutes, but I gave you the whole season. And there's a lot of differences in the case studies I'm dropping in module seven and six. So whoever asked this question, make sure you really look at the case studies and, and take time to study the, the workouts. I, I kind of fly through some of them a little bit more, but you can always look at and take time with the slides to see how much is it really changing and looking at the population. So if it is, I always base it on experience when I'm thinking about a question like this, right? The less experienced athlete, we don't have to change as much. More experienced athlete, we have to change it a lot more. So for one of the examples um, I think I used with the, the master's athlete, I showed it over a two and a half, we almost trained him for two and a half years straight and ended up breaking uh, some master's world records, won some FINA titles, stuff like that. But when we very first started, I showed the progression of basically zero to four months and not a lot changed. The workouts were pretty much the same. The exercise were pretty much the same because I wanted to start really slow and steady with him for a number of reasons that I went into the case study. But then by the time we got to um, the two-year mark, we were rotating phases once every week because we had figured out what really worked for him. So I always start more conservative, slower. And then as I'm learning the athlete or especially as a group, I would start slower because you got a lot of different variations there. So always feel like you can change as you go in, but it's a lot harder if you change a lot from the start and then realize, oh man, this is too much. I need to pull back. So I always almost start way more conservative than I end up in the programming. Uh, but it really relies heavily on the experience. I don't think there's, I mean, you got to be training, I think, at least four or five years before I feel that there's a real value to changing completely the workout from Monday to Wednesday, because you have to have so much experience that it really comes back to as you as a coach, can you see improvement on a regular basis? And if you're seeing improvement on a regular basis, you're that, that should dictate how much you're really changing it, I guess. So let's say you have the program and it's the same exercises for four weeks block. And you see, hey, from week one to week four, my athletes improved. That's great. Well, then you go to another phase, another phase, then you're back at that strength phase again. And you do it for four more weeks. Did they improve from week one to week four? 
If yes, great, you can keep going. When you start to feel like, man, they're just not changing as much. And also remember too, at the same time, it's the diminishing returns. So that's always going to happen. But you basically want to make sure you're cutting it off before there's really a big plateau where you've trained athletes for four weeks and you haven't seen any improvement. So you basically want to avoid getting to that point. But then at the same time, if you have even an athlete with one or two or three years experience, changing that stimulus from Monday to Wednesday, that's not giving them necessarily enough reps to actually have adaptation changes. So that's always the balance is not changing it so much that the body doesn't have a chance to adapt, but not changing it for so long that the adaptations have now plateaued and you're almost are having to start from a standstill. So you want to like keep that momentum going. And that's where the dance and the art of coaching comes in. So I would guess that all of you have really good coaches' eyes for in the water. Start to try to develop that on land as much as possible. And I think even just coaching is coaching, right? You could see when your athletes are improving, when they're struggling. And sometimes it's just making it simple on land and realizing, all right, if they're getting better, don't have to feel like you need to change it up. Remember, variety is not the end goal. It's, it's the byproduct of you changing the phases of you adjusting the variables. It's not that you, it's not that someone gets a prize for like how many times they were able to change their program. Um, and so make, make sure you don't have that end up as a goal of how often can I change it? Always ask, why am I needing to change it? And if it's serving the athlete or you think it's going to be better for the athlete, then that's great. If you don't need to, don't feel this uh, burden that you need to be changing it all the time. Um, Anybody need clarification on that? I feel like that was a big one. I just want to make sure. Jason, any, any chats on that? No, we had Philip asked the same question, but I think that answers it. So he, he might have typed in the same one that we got emailed earlier. <clears throat> and guys, let, let uh, type in if you need any clarification on these two. I felt like that was the biggest one we've gone so far. I felt like the other ones are pretty simple. Um, these next few two, yeah, a little bit more. Um, all right. So next one, how, uh, we often talk about adaptation weeks in swimming after each block of training, any needs for similar recovery or deload weeks in the gym? Great question on this. Again, I'm, I'm impressed by your guys' level of questions. I feel like this is good stuff that, uh, we're able to speak on this level with dryland. So that's always encouraging. I talked about this too. This is really fresh in my mind. This was a big thing I talked about in the master's case study that I just published uh, for module number seven. And the master's population, a master's swimmer is 18 years and older, but I'm talking about a master's swimmer like 40s, 50s, 60s or beyond. The older you get, recovery is so much more important. It's like the most important thing. So you can have a great workout, but how often you can have those great workouts diminishes or there needs to be a bigger window, generally the more you age. So with this master swimmer in particular that I was talking about that we trained uh, for this two plus year stint, we really found, and he actually hated it. He, he would tell me all the time, Chris, I hate the week after we have a meet because I know this stupid deload workout is coming from you, but he needed it. Like he was just so driven, like he would not have programmed that for himself, but he knew that he needed that reset for his body. It's just, he didn't enjoy that, right? Like he didn't enjoy the easier bodyweight exercises for a week because he just wanted to get in and get after it. But we really found if we didn't do that after a beat, whether he tapered for it or not, you, you can't forget how intense competitions are. And you need to factor that in into your weekly programming. Like that's the highest level of intensity 
your athletes are going to get. So that plays into what you're doing on land. And especially the older the athlete, the more it should play into it. So we found that even if it was a meet he hadn't tapered for, he really wasn't that good a week or sometimes even two after the meet until we started to do this week of just deload where it was all bodyweight exercises. We made sure the, the volume wasn't too much. That's the thing with bodyweight exercises. You could sometimes kind of trick yourself into, okay, we're going to do a bodyweight workout here. And then you have like 50 reps for every exercise. So now you've just loaded up on volume and it's not really a deload anymore, right? It's kind of this in-between not helping you at all, just getting you more tired. So we kept them, we made sure like the reps were like, you know, 12, 15, 10, that kind of stuff for most of the body weight. Um, there was some TRX exercises, other things like that, just a really no external weight except body weight. And we did that for a week, we worked on some bracing exercises, some mobility. And then the next week after we would start to roll into the strength again. And I found that by doing that one week of deload with this particular athlete, I could basically get back to the peak intensity volume that we were at two or three weeks prior to the meet. And so we, did, we never really dropped off. I don't think you need to go that extreme for like high schoolers or even 11 to 14s. One reason, they recover so fast. Number two, I'm not sure at that age, you're able to even get to the intensity that it requires a deload. So that's the other thing. How intense are you really working? And if you're, not, if you're not getting up as high like we were with this master swimmer, if you're only getting halfway, well, I don't think there's as much need to then drop it all the way down. But again, you know your athletes best. You see that. It depends on probably what you're doing in the water. If you do that in the water, maybe it does work out to also deload on land for a week. And maybe you're going to be really aggressive with like mobility stuff or building up their, their brace uh, if, if that's really poor. So those are some things to think about with that. Uh, but there's definitely a place for that. I think it's only certain populations I've found really need that. Um, off the top of my head, when we were doing the elite team uh, for the Beijing Olympics, I feel like we, um, we were lifting three times a week regularly. I don't, maybe like every fifth week we kind of had, but I don't even remember it dropping down that much. And I also think it was too, because in the water, David was always really conscious of how hard are we hitting him in the water. So I never felt like anybody was really like severely overtraining or even, you know, close to that. So I'm sure that has a, a plane to it too, of like what you're doing in the water. And if you're pushing him to the edge in the water, then I would even more consider having a deload on land, right? Because remember, something has to win. So if you're really going hard in the water, probably makes sense to, to pull back a little bit on land. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dry land IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.